Well, good afternoon, everybody. Well, it's good to be here today, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. God has blessed us, and just what good services. And and here today, as the brother said, we're going to be in the back in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're getting through this, and uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter seven today. If you all want to follow along, and we're getting to an exciting point uh, of the book, and. Uh, so far, we've experienced six chapters of King Solomon seeking meaning and purpose in this world aside, for, aside from God, without God. And of course, you all know that everything that he did, everything he tried, it failed, right? He couldn't find any meaning and purpose. And he considered it vanity. We saw that in the chapter 1. And again, we got to understand that vanity means some different things here. Of course, definition means meaningless. It means empty. It also means a vapor or enigma. So we got to remember this as we look through this book. But throughout his journey, he provides wisdom that he observes under the sun and then what he experiences under the sun. That's very important to know in those first six uh, chapters. And he knows wisdom is key because God blessed him with wisdom. He knows that this is, is key toward living a better life. Well, in chapter 7, starting in chapter 7, we're going to see a deeper level of wisdom emerge. A wisdom that remedies all the vanities this life can present. So we're going to see these heavenly wisdoms be exposed here, these true wisdoms. And I'm just going to hit a couple verses here in chapter 7. We're going to go through quite a bit here. But in chapter 7, if you want to read along, I'll be in verse 11 to start out with. And it says here, chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes 7, 11, says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is uh, a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Let us pray here. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, again, we are just truly blessed to be in your house here today. And Lord, we're just thankful for your word. And we've just had such a good time so far, Lord. And I just pray that you just... Put it on my heart what, uh, what you need me to express here to the church, Lord. And just let everybody have an open and receptive heart to the message, including myself. And again, just thankful for all that you do. And ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, uh, this morning, as we read that, think of it as God, he is going to reveal knowledge to us as he sees fit. He's going to reveal it in his own time. And there's some questions that we may have that will never be answered here on this earth. But God is the one that does this. He gives us what we need. His grace is always sufficient. And, you know, when we come to a point of understanding of who God truly is, He is our rock. If you, I mean, if you think about it, if you go into Deuteronomy 32, 4, it says He is our rock, His work is perfect, and, he's all, and all His ways are judgment. Going along with that, too, folks, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, and verse 6, we also got to remember this. 
that they may know, uh, know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. This is God. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Folks, when we see all this, he is in control. We're not. He's in control of all of it. And Ecclesiastes does a great job in portraying this to us. Now, we come to a point here when we start seeing all this and start maturing, we come to the point that we perceive that each day, you know, each day that we work and labor, that he gives us the ability to work and have a job and, and he provides our basic needs. Friends, he gives us air to breathe. This is a gift from God to us. And we accept also whatever direction that he takes us to in life. We accept the good times and we accept those times that we're down in the valley. So that's something we got to think about. You know, and John in chapter 10, verse 10, it says this. Even those difficult times, folks, we got to remember that we can live an abundant life. Even in those difficult times, that's an opportunity to seek God and get closer. And that's what John's saying here. We can live that abundant life. And we come to the point of understanding and perceiving each day is a gift from God. We can live that abundant life. So that's true wisdom for us when we get to that point that we understand all that. So I want to take and go through some of chapter 7 here. And let's take a look at some of these truths that, uh, that are remedies against the vanities in this world. Chapter 7, verse 1, I want to show you this. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, when we look at that, we automatically say, well, that's a proverb. Yeah, it's wrote in a proverbial form here. And we also see that this is a, a parallelism. You know, there's comparative, there's contrasting. And you see that a lot in the Old Testament because they're trying to emphasize a point. You all see a good name is better than precious ointment, the day of death better than the day of one's birth. Well, when we start looking at this, let's chime in on it and try to see what he's saying here. Uh, first, what is the worth of a good name? What is the worth of a sound reputation? And you all know here on this earth, you know, if you tarnish your reputation, it's hard to get it back, isn't it? It's hard, you know, to redeem that yourself. Proverbs in 22.1, we see... Uh, King Solomon says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Well, when we look at that, a good name is better than precious ointment. And precious ointment in the day, you know, that was very expensive. You know, you're, you're talking about noble people, dignitaries. This is what they had, you know, this ointment. We're going to read a little bit more into that here in just a minute. But when we think about this, that first verse there, here in this world, who's judging our reputation? Who's judging, you know, living in this world, who's judging our reputation? You know, you think about it, the perception of the world has changed a lot since I've been born. The morals of this world, especially the last five to ten years. So who's judging us here on this earth about our reputation? You know, the praise of other men doesn't necessarily indicate a good reputation. You know, Jesus warns us of this. And in Luke chapter 6 jump to that real quick. Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus says here, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. 
You all see what I'm saying? We got to be careful here. Some individuals, you know, living in this world, you know, those that are living under the sun without God, they live to please the world, and in that, they want to please themselves. And they'll have such reputations in this world that, you know, they might have a road named after them. They might have a building, you know, with their name on it and all these things in their honor. But as we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes, this, the things of this sort, it doesn't bring you any benefit without God. It doesn't, it's not going to live your legacy on forever. Because if we think about that, the book of Ecclesiastes, it really talks a lot about time and death and how our life is but a vapor. It's really short. And the thing of it is, too, folks, to think about it, as we've already talked about earlier in the book, a few generations, more than likely, we're going to be forgotten our names and who we are, what we did. And, you know, these folks right here, all these roads that they got named after them and things that they, they did, well, they'll get renamed. And, you know, in the classes I teach, we do a lot of deed research. And it's amazing how many deed researches we do that it'll have a name of a road, and then it'll say formerly was that old name. Things change. Buildings get old and get brittle, and they get tore down. You see what I'm saying, folks? A legacy here on earth without God, it isn't eternal. True wisdom, folks, is a Christian's legacy. And I want to tell you something, folks. It'll live on forever. Now, you might not remember my name in a few generations or who I was, but I tell you what, when we carry on the torch for God and, and do His will and, and go out and bring the gospel to those, you know what? The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. That's what it says in the book of Psalms in 112, in verse 6. A reputation of humbleness and honesty. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, folks. And and I, I was going through this, and I seen ointment. And when I, in chapter uh, 7, verse 1, whenever I saw ointment, it hit me about uh, the example of Mary of Bethany. It just automatically hit me when I, heard, when I read that. But look at here at her legacy. We all know the story. She took her alabaster uh, box of precious ointment and poured it on Jesus to anoint him. And all the uh, disciples was looking, and they were like, what are you doing? Don't waste that. Don't do that. Let's, let's say it. We could have sold it because it's precious. It's expensive and give it to the poor. I love what Jesus says here in the book of Matthew. If you want to go. Matthew 26, 10. If you want to look at this, it says, When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she has poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, whosoever this gospel shall be preached. And folks, it just brings chills to me because we're, we're doing it right now. Yep. We're talking about it right now. Wherever this is preached in the whole world, there shall also this. This woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Think about that, folks. Beauty of it is, as a Christian, we're going to live on. We got, we've got, we're going to live on. We are remembered. You might not remember our names down the road, but we've carried that torch on, and I'm very, very thankful for that this morning. But now we look at, uh, again, chapter 7, the rest of that. A good name is better than precious ointment. And we saw that ointment there, very precious in the day. And the day of death is better 
than the day of one's birth. Now, for the world to take a look at that, they'll be like, what are you talking about? When we're dead, we're gone. You know, the birth's a lot better. I mean, that worldly thought is this. And it's a difficult concept for some. But the thing of it is, folks, when we look at this, and we even look at death, none of us want to go to a funeral home because we're saying goodbye to a loved one. You know what I mean? It's a time that we get that closure. And it's a sad atmosphere. None of us want to do that. The thing of it is, the true wisdom of this proverb that we're looking at is understanding the rewards of believers when this life is over. The rewards that we're going to have. The Lord tells us in Revelations 14, 13 that the believers will rest in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be a wonderful day. Amen. And that's at the end of this life for us. We've got that waiting if you have been justified by Him, by faith and the grace that the Lord gives us. That's the hope of us. That's the hope of a believer is the end. Now, as we go through there, and again, this is a comparison um, parallelism, and it emphasizes again that the de uh, day of death is better than the day of the, the birth. Well, it makes sense. I mean, as we went through here, it makes so much sense. But, you know, I, I tell you, I think about it. The birth of a child is precious. It is precious. But I want to tell you something. When that baby is born... I remember when my son was born. When it was born, all you want to do is protect it from the world because we know what the world's like, right? We want to protect it, that child. And the thing of it is, from all the sins and the sorrows and all the things that go on, but folks, it's impossible to shelter them from everything as they grow up. They're going to experience it. They're going to experience labor. They're going to experience tool. They're going to experience difficult people in this world in difficult times. They're going to go through the valleys of life, and we know they got that ahead of them. And we do our best, they're still going to experience it. They're going to experience the temptations of sin and all these things. But folks, think of it. The justified, when we, de when we depart from this world, no longer have to struggle, no longer have to tool and work, no longer have to worry. Think about that. Our loved ones that's went on, they're not tooling anymore. They're not struggling. They're enjoying the perks and live in peace forever and eternity. King Solomon continues expanding on these true wisdoms here in, in 2 through 6, uh, the verses 2 through 6. He's going to show us that more is learned from adversity and difficult times than from pleasurable times. And if we'll notice in, in verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to their hearts. Folks, when we read that, the house of mourning, you know, when they talk about the house of mourning, we're talking about going to a, to a funeral home. And then the, the, uh, the house of, uh, of feasting is talking about like weddings and happy things like this and birthdays and all these things like that. It's pleasant. Well, it, it, honestly, it is more pleasant to go to a wedding than it is to the funeral home. We kind of already talked about that. However, I want you to remember this. When we celebrate a joyous occasion, eternity typically isn't in the forefront of our mind. And that's what he's talking about here. You know? But when we're, we go and visit someone at the funeral home, a loved one, that's the first thing that we see when we walk in is that casket, and we see that... This is going to be our fate at some point. 
this life is short. It's just a vapor. And it brings the, that to our forefront. And that's what he's saying. You know, all men are going to experience, a good book here says all men are going to experience the first death. You know, unless we get raptured out of here. We're going to experience that, and then the next thing that's going to happen is judgment. So it's coming to us, folks. The preaching of a funeral, I'm telling you, it is some of the most captivating preaching that you'll hear because it is amazing how focused the entire crowd is when you're there. I mean, you can hear a pin drop most time because everybody has got that sorrow. But everybody's listening because they know there's eternity ahead of us. Of them. They've got that in the forefront of their mind and they listen and God blesses us with this time because the, the gospel can be preached and people can hear that seed can be sown. And just like it said there, as we got into it, it, uh, it will, uh, and the living will lay it to his heart. The living will lay it to the, his heart. And they're thinking about eternity because they're taking that message to their heart. Again, the flesh looks here on this world at verses 3 and 4 with the same confusion as they did prior. And again, it says this in verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. How do you all learn most effectively? For me, I learn from my experiences. And I also learn a lot when I make mistakes. When I'm going through difficult times, making mistakes, that's where I learn the most from. You know, in like verse 3, it says right here, the countenance, the heart is made better. You know, difficult circumstances make the heart better. You know, when you're going through those valleys in life, those difficult times, you know, and we look at our children and they might be doing something they're not supposed to do, and we have to try to get them on the right path. God does that for us, too. He doesn't want us to wallow in our sin. He wants to get us on the straight and narrow path. And folks, God will uh, chastise, uh, chasten his children as needed for our effectual good. We will discipline our children for their good. And, he's, and sometimes this chastening can be painful. It can be difficult to bear from God. But what the Word is showing us here is telling us that this is an opportunity to gain understanding and knowledge and to get closer to Him through these times of trials. A true believer, folks, as we mature, we're going to see this as that opportunity. To, you know, when we're down in the pits, we're in the valley, we'll see by holding His hand and not letting go is the best. And we're going to see that as we come down through our... But, uh, and we see that in verse 4 here. The heart of the wise in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Folks, those who mourn when God reveals their sin is humble and wise. When we mourn, but not letting go of his hand, like I said earlier, and keeping our trust and faith in him when we go through these trials and tribulations of life is what we are to do because we're seeking his wisdom. Unlike the foolish, what it says here, what are they doing? They're looking for the world for answers. They're looking for the world. You know, they're, they want to seek pleasure and laughter because it masks the pain of what's going on in their life. Instead of seeking God, they seek the things of the world. And, and, and they'll seek help from, from others, and that's perfectly fine. God blesses us with those that we can go to for counseling. 
our spiritual leaders. That is so important. There's so many out there that we can go to, but folks, be careful of who you go and seek advice from and counseling and wisdom. Right. we got to be very careful about that because they can guide us in the wrong direction. And verse 5 says it, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. You know, rebuke, being, you know, corrected, it isn't easy for one's ego, is it? You know, constructive criticism. But when you get to the point where you accept that information, again, make sure it's godly, make sure it's sound, and it's following God's word. Again, we've got to make sure that we know who we're talking to, you know, Otherwise, this information is going to take you down a road you don't want to go down. So be careful about that. You know, we think about, we think about Job, right? We think about the advice his wife gave him. We've got to be careful with things. We've got to, it's got to be godly. Verse 7 says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Difficult times, folks, in this world can make people do things that's totally out of their character. And you're probably like, oh, now. But when you're put in a position, you, be, you might be surprised what will happen. And that's what he's saying. Be careful of that. When you're put in a difficult time, be careful of that. And he also goes on there and says, a gift destroyeth the heart. Well, he's talking about taking bribes and things like that. Be careful. Don't do this because this is not using wisdom correctly. This is not using God's word correctly. And we see... You know, here in the world, we see the fleshly slide. It's always easier to take the road of least resistance. And we see that. It's easier to take that road of least resistance or the quickest way to get out away from the problem. But you know what Solomon shows us here? Slow down. Slow down because you can get yourself in a mess if you're too hasty to jump on things and try to figure things out yourself. Slow down. The important thing is to seek God and be patient. This is our opportunity, and he's given that to us so that we can get closer to him. You know, in these times, we need to be patient. Verse 8 goes on. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You often hear that good things come to those who wait. Well, that's easy to say when you're not going through trials and tribulations, right? Very easy to say. But the heavenly wisdom that we're experiencing here shows us that times of trouble is where we learn and grow the most with God spiritually. And it's easy, folks, to see the end of a trial or even a goal that we might have in life. At the end of it is better. It makes a lot of sense. And we think about that. You know, whenever you get to the end of some sort of trial, some sorrow, some tribulation you're going through, you can take a big deep breath and say, yeah, I'm glad that's through. Thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? The end is better. But also, even in our goals, think about that. You know, I was doing some work the other day at, at, uh, on a committee, and we were looking at graduation rates. And the graduation rate uh, in 2022, the information I got, for those that start, you know, traditional age students coming right out of high school that wanted to get a bachelor's degree that went straight into college, 62% of those that start graduate. And I got thinking about that, you know, if I had a room full of 10, six of them would finish. Now those that come straight out of high school and come into college that are seeking the associate degree two-year program, 43 of them 
percent of them graduate. So out of 10, you're only going to have four that graduates. And, you know, there's all kinds, you know, of, of things that come up, situations, you know, it's out of people's control. I mean, there's a lot of rigors in study, you know, and life gets in the way, family and all these different things. And you talk to some students that, that drop and they're like, there's more difficult than what I thought. I got wondering about this. I got wondering about the percentage of believers that get into a major trial in their life. Something that's very, very hard, a tribulation, and they're not on top of the mountain anymore, but they're down in the valley. How many of them are holding God's hand? How many of them get to the point where they think, well, it might be easier if I do this. Lord, I'll just let go of you. I'll go sit, try to do it my way. I wonder how many percentage happens like that. Now, I don't know that. None of us would, but God does. And the main thing is, we've got to trust in him. We cannot let go, and we've got to be patient. Patience, patience is a virtue, and everything occurs in God's time. So, folks, we, you know, we can't allow the stresses of life to make us become angry. And verse 9 says that, Be not hasty in the spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Uh, you know, don't become bitter in the trials of life, and God can help us with that. If we go to him, you know, he can help us with that. And I want to tell you something. Some of the greatest um, testimonies I've ever seen is knowing someone that is going through something very difficult, and they keep their composure. They keep their composure because God allows them. God blesses them through that. But I've also seen some going through difficult times and you don't want to make eye contact sometime with them. You know what I mean? But that peaceful demeanor is what he's talking about. And that comes from God. And also, whenever we're going through these trials, sometimes we can get down on ourselves. Verse 10 goes into that. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou doesn't not inquire wisely concerning this. Folks, refrain from living in the past. You know, that's why he's saying, you know, it's just saying like, you know, those were the days I can remember. The thing of it is, we're living in today. We're living in the now. And the Bible shows us that. We are to live in the now, not don't live in the past, live in today. That's where we need to be. And, uh, of course, now we're, we're back to where we started in verse 11 here. And I want you all to see this wisdom again. God's wisdom is good with an inheritance and by it there is a profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a, de, a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Okay? Godly wisdom is better than money, and that's what it's saying here. It's better than it because it provides a fulfilled life, is that wisdom. And again, when we looked at those first six uh, chapters in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is providing knowledge and wisdom from what he's observing and what he's seeing. God give him the ability to do that. Under the sun, he's seeing all these things. And he referred to all those as practical, you know, this is referred to as practical wisdom. But he also goes in there and he said these can be vanity. And this is not saying that they're empty or meaningless. It's saying it can be a vapor. It can be an enigma because... You know, I can live on this earth and follow all these wisdoms to a perfect T, and that doesn't automatically guarantee me that I'm going to avoid difficulties in life. It does not by living according to those wisdoms. Verse 15 even shows us that. 
All things I have seen in the days of my vanity, there is a just man that perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongs his life in wickedness. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. That's what he's saying. You know, the probability is if you live by this practical wisdom, good things, but still, it's not a guarantee. And that's what he's showing us here. Understanding, folks, the wisdom above the sun will help us with this. Okay? Verse 13, let's go back to it and look at it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? This shows us, folks, who is in charge. Okay? And think about that. When we go through the valleys of life, isn't it, wouldn't it be the best to go to the source that can resolve the matters? And I, I think about that even here on this earth. You know, our car could tear up, and we could take it to a lot of these little shops around. And, they, and if they can't figure it out, you've got to think. Wouldn't it be better to take it back to the one that made it, the manufacturer, and let them fix it? That's the same way here. If we're going through trials and all these tribulations and things, go to the one that made us. Go to the one that knows everything and can resolve the issue. That's the best. So finishing up here, folks, in verse 14, it says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Folks, when you read that, that first little part, in the day of prosperity, God wants us to enjoy life. When we have the time, because we're going to go through times of good times, we're going to go through times of bad times. But he said, in the good times, enjoy it. If he blesses you with something, accept it. If he give, listen, if he gives you resources and he tells you, you know, he put it on your heart, take you a trip. Take yourself a trip because that's, that's God giving you a gift. If you need something and he provides for you, take it because I tell you what, I don't know how many times I felt guilty in my life for wanting to buy something or do something. But if God blesses you with it in these good times, accept it. It's a gift. It's a gift to you from him. So, again, you're going to take those times. It's going to be a lot of trials in our life. But when things go awry, the main thing is he wants us to confide in him. He don't want us confiding in him. Nothing else. He wants us to go to him, have faith in him, have trust in him, and not let go of his hand and be patient with all these things. You know, we need to use that time any time that we go through trials and tribulations as an opportunity to get closer to him spiritually so that we can live, like John said, that abundant life. So here today, folks, you know, as we go through here and we look at the remedies against vanity, this true wisdom, you know what? For you that are here today, for all those that are saved and have been justified in salvation, don't ever let go of his hand. doesn't matter what it is. Don't matter if you think it's just taking too long, you don't let go because it comes out the best in the end for us. And those today that are lost, you might know, not know the Lord. I'm telling you, folks, the greatest thing you'll ever do, seek him out. So again, here today, I want to thank you all for your attention, and I want to turn it back over to my brother here.